Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on the swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Cullen Munns, and we're off and running. And Ian, uh, I don't know if you know this, but usually in the springtime, uh, the great sport of college football likes to just interject itself violently into our lives for no apparent reason. Uh, and so we, de- I'm deciding we're going to do that um, this episode. This has been dubbed the Spring Game Edition of the cutback podcast and we are going to just jam some college football down your throat uh and in order to do that we have a very very uh esteemed guest on the show it is very a very rare occurrence that uh two michigan men like ourselves will invite somebody from the armpit of america in ohio uh to to the show um but here we are we have a defensive analyst uh in a power five program and a former colleague of mine, uh, Jake Belzer, a uh, big Cleveland Indians guy, a uh, big Cleveland Browns guy, and by far one of the more knowledgeable people I've ever met on the defensive side of the football. Wow. Thank you, Cullen, for that, that introduction. I, uh, I have several things to correct, though. Uh, the armpit of America is not, in fact, Ohio. I will leave it to you and or your listeners to decide where the armpit of Ohio is. But I'll tell you what, it's certainly not Ohio. Second of all, the Cleveland baseball franchise fan. They still are. They still are the Cleveland Indians for this year. That's fine. But I'm going to go ahead and call them, as I have since uh, 2015, the Cleveland baseball franchise. Wow. As so, folks, you can see, we have one of the more progressive sports <laughs> minds on the show today. And I could not be more thrilled to have him with us. But no, thank you for having me. I'm super glad to be here. I got to start with your Cleveland fandom because both teams uh, from a baseball standpoint and with the Brownies uh, kind of have been in interesting spots on, on different sides of the coin with the old baseball franchise having some rather nefarious news come out in the past couple of days. Uh, but the Browns also looking like a potential and legitimate uh, contender in the AFC. So let's maybe start on a more positive note. What are your thoughts on the Browns? Do you think that this year was a uh, a one-off and you worry about the Browns maybe regressing to the mean? Or do you think this is jumping off point and uh, the bandwagon is off and rolling? Well, first of all, great question. Um, I love to talk about the Browns, so I'll take any opportunity to do so. I think there were several things from this year that I think are replicable in terms of play style and play calling and some of the things you do on the field as far as establishing an identity for the Browns, putting Baker Mayfield in in the position to succeed. However, having said all that and having knowing all of it's true, there's still like this constant presence in the back of my mind as someone who's watched the Browns for my whole life that this was definitely a fluke, that we're (laughs) definitely going to have the first pick next year, and that we're not going to have another winning season playoff appearance until I'm dead and buried. Um, But, wow. But I, until next year happens, I'm rooting for a continuation of the success. Not, not that it has to be the same amount of success. I was very happy with last year. But if we could continue to be the Brownies of 2020 and not the Brownies of 1996 to 2020, that'd be, the, that'd be the best possible future. What do you think about the team being better or worse with Odell on the field? Because a lot of people, including Cleveland Browns Twitter, is saying some pretty wild things about the Browns are better without Mr. Odell catching balls. <sighs> um, <laughs> I think anytime you have one of the best players in the NFL on the field for you, 
your offense, your team is going to be better. I think there was a bigger sample size, obviously, last year without Odell Beckham and a lot of uh, success within the offense without him. But I don't, I, I mean, look me in the face and tell me that you would rather have an offense without Odell Beckham than one with. I just don't, I don't see that as a, as a viable argument. I mean, if you want to send him down to that team, that franchise down in Houston, they're looking for some wide receiver help. <laughs> from they're looking for a lot of help, my friend. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. But uh, I know we, Jake, as you're aware, we kind of start, usually start our show with the work topics. Um, Absolutely. And so I think we should, we would be uh, well intentioned if we started with the work topics again. And as we mentioned, you're a defensive analyst at a power five program. Um, kind of you and I work together in a power five program, kind of talk to us about what it is like uh, to work on the D as a defensive coach, essentially uh, with a college football program, because a lot of our listeners may not really understand what it's like when you're, when you are actually on the sideline with, with in a college football program. Yeah. Well, first I'd like to, I'd like to just say before I give you my answer, there are many people with, you know, many more years in this industry than I do. So anything that I can tell you about working in football, working on defense is purely based on my experience and it's, it's totally anecdotal. So I, I can't speak to the industry as a whole, but I can tell you um, about my experience. And in my experience, it seems as though working on defense, um, working in football in general is a lot like working in the military, but it's also, also nothing like that. I don't ever want to compare <laughs> uh, football to the military because what I do every day is uh, it's a game. You know, it's, it's goofy. It's nothing like the military, but there is a chain of command, right? So you, you understand where you are, where you fall in that chain, in that ladder, and then you have to understand who's above you and who's above them. So you're constantly working for obviously the guy at the top, but you're also working for the guy under him and the people under him. So there's just a kind of understanding of purpose and um, role that you have to have in order to be useful to the team. Because if you don't know what your role is, you don't know where to be, you don't know what to be doing on a day-to-day, week-to-week, hour-to-hour basis, then you're taking your time away from someone who does know what they're doing, who does know what they should be doing, know where they need to be, to let, to have them explain it to you. So in a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's a lot like playing on a team, but just a lot less physical. So, yeah. And, and as we mentioned before, you kind of, you mentioned you worked on the defensive side of the football and, and uh, being at the university of offense, how is that dichotomy? Does that play out when you are, you know, maybe on the less appreciated side of the football? Well, in football, you, you work for your head coach. Your head coach is the CEO, so he is making all the rules and he, his decision is final. Um, I, in my experience, have worked for three head coaches, all of which have been offensive-minded, offensive-oriented. So um, what you tend to see a lot is more of a split in the staff, whereas you have the, off- you have the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, right, and they control their staffs. But your head coach is going to be a lot more um, detail-oriented with one of those sides of the ball. <laughs> and you I love how you're parsing words here. You want to be that side of the ball because you want to have the head coach in your meetings and you, and you want to have him uh, on your side in the, in, when arguments come up. 
But at the same time, there's a lot of added scrutiny to that side of the ball where the head coach is going to know every single thing that is going into a play or, uh, you know, a, an install. Whereas on defense, it's like, what are you guys doing this week? Okay, you're doing this? Perfect. Like, that's all we needed to see in practice. Um, the, the downside is you might not get some of the perks. You know, like offense is probably going to eat first. Offense is going to board the uh, bus first. You know, uh, any, any, kind of, any kind of perk that the players might receive or that uh, if order needs to be determined as far as fairness, favor goes to the offense. The favor goes to the side of your head coach. And in most people's experience, that's going to be the offense. Now, I'm kind of curious, almost taking a step back and, and say as much as you can, I suppose, but you, you talked about the structure and kind of understanding what your role is uh, and, and the things that you're good at and kind of who you're assisting and, and who they're assisting and so on and so forth. Can you tell us a little bit about what you are actually doing on a day-to-day basis? I know a lot of people hear about working in football, whether it's on the coaching side um, or, you know, Colin and I have been in operations and and I did like video at Michigan for a while. So people see that and they just see all the glamour, right? And they think it's cool. They see you walk around in the sweats and you got the bag tags and, and doing all this stuff. But can you talk more about what you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis and a little bit of the grind that goes on? in football buildings around the country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, 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 it's funny you should mention the sweats and the bag tags because that is, that was for a while, like how I got paid. I, <laughs> I did the internship for the program, um, unpaid for those first, for while I was in college for my undergrad. So, um, a lot of ways when I got the bag tag and when I got the sweats, I felt very much like that was payday. Like that was, uh, you know, the first and the 15th is when you get the bag tag that says Belzer. I, I, quick interjection it. here. Jake Belzer is the original creator of the hashtag uh, hoodies and hash browns as our pay. Uh, so Yes, true. That's very true. Um, hoodies and hash browns. And sometimes you weren't allowed to eat the hash browns, but you could always <laughs> wear the hoodie. You could always that is true. Um, okay, so back to, back to Ian's question, the day-to-day. Um, I, I assume you guys want to know about like in season. You don't really want to care to know about what I'm doing right now, like as far as breaking down a defense and installing it. Yeah, I mean, I think both are interesting because I think that's another interesting angle where people don't understand that working in football specifically is a 365, 24-7 type of job. Yeah, and it, it it obviously it depends on your head coach. Uh, you know, there are, are 127 or however many G1 programs there are, so none of them are going to be exactly the same. Um, however, there is a, co- a college football calendar, and it's very cyclical. Um, it was interrupted this year because of um, the COVID situation, and that was the first time, I'm sure, for these college football coaches in 20 years that they hadn't had the exact same yearly calendar. So basically the way it works is, oh, if we, if you go from right now in, in the, uh, college football year, you are right now, we would be in the middle or beginning spring ball. So because we're a a quarters program or quarter school, um, we have to split spring ball down the middle as we are allotted 15 practices for a spring ball. So we can't get that all done in the spring term. So in in a normal year in a non COVID year, we would, we would do, uh, three or four practices pre-spring break, and then we would come back and finish them and then have the spring game on that the other side of spring break. Um, once you wrap with spring ball, 
then you have uh, time off and recruiting, and that's or that's a, that's where your recruiting is going to get done, like your home visits and your um, visits to the campus uh, for off-season guys. That's when those guys are going to come in, and we'll we'll do the majority of like the recruiting boots on the ground work. Then you start to roll into your August, which is you hit your fall camps. So your players are going to show up at some point in fall camp. Coaches will show up about two weeks before that. It'll be like the third week of July or the last week of July, show up, we'll start readying stuff on a day-to-day basis. It's like printing stuff out, hole punching it, putting it in the guy's binders, um, making cut-ups, finding examples of a technique that, you know, in the last four years might have been played three times, but you have to find those three times and find the one that's good. Um, So needle in a haystack. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, it's, I shouldn't say it's always needle in a haystack. Sometimes, you know, your coach says, give me a cut up of this. And all you have to do is, you know, go sort it. And there's your cut up. Um, but the point is it's just a lot. It's the, it's the stuff that nobody wants to do. So Colin introduced me at the top as like a defensive mind. No one in that building views me as a defensive mind. I am a stapler, a hole puncher, a printer outer, and sometimes I get to check names off of the list when we do attendance. Like that is my job. Like I, whenever I do cool football stuff, like the stuff, like the meat and potato stuff that I'm really there to like sink, sink my hands into, it's because I'm doing it with someone else. Like no one, else, no one is like asking me to uh, do very much like heavy exos intense stuff. It's more of the the physical work that needs to get done in order to put in a playbook or the physical work that needs to get done in post-practice, whether that be uh, breakdown or reports post-practice. And then, you know, you got to make a cut up to teach the guys when they come back in for the meeting. So it's, it's a lot of the day-to-day operation stuff that needs to get done in order for meetings to happen. So Jake, we kind of talked about it earlier with the hoodies and hash browns and, and, you called yourself a glorified stapler and and paper holder. Um, But as somebody who worked in that program with you, we both know there's a lot of value in those cut-ups that are being made. There's a lot of value to the program in those staples. You are driving through packets of paper there. uh, There is a lot of value to the program uh, that is being generated there at that by these quote unquote lower level employees and there's a lot of talk in the federal government now about, you know, unpaid internships. Are they fair? You see, especially in college football industry wide, where people aren't even calling them unpaid internships. They're pretty much just come work for free because <laughs> we're I a college football uh, team. Volunteerism. Right. Volunteerism. And, and that's what they try to get behind is volunteerism. How do you see the future of, of these roles in college football programs kind of transforming as we go down the down the red, down the way well great question um i think again it's going to have to do with the person at the top because i think i've been fortunate enough to work with head coaches that don't mind bringing in students bringing in uh, people who are uh, unfamiliar with the program or really weren't hired by the head coach or the program to help with the football stuff um so if there was, I mean, I've gone through three head coaches in my time, and if any one of those head coaches at any point said, I don't want anybody that I didn't hire or that I didn't have an interview with in my building, then I would have no place in college football. Like, I wouldn't have the gig that I currently have. Um, and I'd like to see, if it were up to me, 
um, going forward a little bit more structure for uh, intern student workers for low level people who are trying to help out with the um, football world because you know it's great to be a part of something and it's great to put your effort into um, a, a, a common goal however it's 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 got to be something that's not exploitative of the work of the labor um, and mutually beneficial for both parties. Um, and I think that's achieved because if you, you know, you, you look at it from the outside and you say, here's this person volunteering all their time and money or time and hours to um, a program that's not even, you know, reciprocating that interest with, with money or with any kind of um, reward. But I had a conversation I think in 2016 with one of the coaches that worked at Oregon and they told me that the value of my job does not come from money. It doesn't come from sweats. It doesn't come from anything that I, that is going to be given to me or awarded to me. It's going to be the intellectual value that I get sitting in the meetings and getting to listen to coaches who have been working on their craft for 20 years. Because if you think about it, like anywhere you work as an unpaid uh, assistant, you have to think about who the paid guys are and the journey it took to get there. So working at Oregon, I, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely blessed to work with people who have worked their entire, like worked their tails off for their entire career to get to a place like Oregon. And now are like, they've, they've worked through the trials and tribulations of being a coach. They've worked through having their first room. They've worked through how they want to communicate with these guys. And now what I'm seeing is the finished product. So I, it's, it's cutting out for me, all that trial and tribulation, I mean, not necessarily cutting it out, but it's, it's letting me see what the product should look like before I'm anywhere near being that product. So the intellectual value I get from being in the building, being working with these people um, is innumerable. And for someone like me who didn't play college football, there aren't that many other ways in. I mean, unless you know somebody, you, I mean, tell me how uh, somebody off the street is going to get a job in college football without working their tail off first. Most of them mail letters to the DFO. <laughs> <laughs> is that how that works? Have you seen the mail that comes in? No, I'm a, I'm a football guy, Colin. You're a front office. Oh, guy. right. You're a front office. <laughs> yeah. I'm not smart enough. Front I didn't go to Michigan. <laughs> you brought up a good point about well, you brought up a lot of good points and, and there's a lot of different avenues that we could jump into. But the first one is, you know, we, we've touched on and Colin and I have touched on before where, you know, some some students and or level analysts or employees in, in the football building are fortunate enough to be compensated at like an hourly rate or minimum wage or whatever. But most are working for free and essentially working full time jobs. Um, and while that does suck. Uh, you also do realize, like you said, you, you gain a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience through that uh, opportunity if you're able to kind of uh, make your way through that opportunity from a financial standpoint. But I think another thing, and, and it seems to ring super true on the coaching side, is the relationship portion of it. You mentioned you know, a lot of it's about who you know. So can you talk a little bit about just like the relationships you've been able to form in the building um, and how you see a lot of times coaching staffs pop up all together in different places throughout uh, the course of their careers. Yeah. I mean, so to a certain degree, any field you want to get into uh, sports is no different. It's about who, you know, right. Um, 
if you know someone, it's certainly going to be a lot easier to make your way onto a staff or make your way into a building that um, it wouldn't be for someone who might just have a great resume and no, no connection. But this, this, this um, profession is entirely about relationships. I mean, you could be Bill Belichick. You could get on the grease board and absolutely blow everybody's mind with how much you know and how much you could recite and you know all the technique you know. But at the end of the day, if you can't form a relationship with the players in your room, then they're not going to listen to you and then they're not going to get better. Um, and the same thing goes for on the professional side of trying to move up and trying to climb the ladder is, you know, you could, you could be that same guy we were just talking about, you that Bill Belichick-esque guy. You could be great with your players and they could be playing at an all Pac-12, all conference level. But if you don't have a good relationship with the people around you, with the, with your head coach, with your coordinator, you're going to end up you're going to end up staying in that one contract until it's up and then you're looking for work like no one's going to want to take you to a new place or give you a new contract because you haven't been you haven't helped the team mesh because that's that you, you know you hear that and you're like the team mesh like what does it matter these people are being paid absorbent amounts of money to coach college football that's great, but like you, you see it in the NBA all the time. You can have a bunch of really great players, but if they don't mesh, if there's not that kind of symbiosis, then you're never you're never Ooh. gonna be you're never gonna be successful as a program, as a team, on the field or off. Did anybody have the word symbiosis on their <laughs> cutback pod uh, bingo card for this episode? Did anybody have it being used incorrectly? I didn't even know it was a word. I had to, I'm gonna have to look that one up. I think we might have made up a word. No, that's definitely a word. Worth a Google, but definitely a word. Jake, we kind of we kind of talked in in about you know these relationships and things, and there are um, speaking from experience, there are some relationships that do that are harder to foster than others. Uh, and speaking particularly of a group of gentlemen that are in a Florida university now that shall remain nameless, like uh how what how do you navigate those waters when you may have you know situations where there's guys that aren't really buying into the relationship building aspect of the game and you're really there for those experiences and those relationships to be built and that's the value you're trying to gain yeah great question um i think to a certain degree that that stuff, that kind of stuff is uncontrollable. Um, you know, in football, you hear us say a lot, control what you can control. And on the football field, that, that means, you know, my assignment, my duty, what I need to do in order for us to be successful this play. But I think it applies to a lot of things more broadly in football. And, and one of those things is you can't control who you're working for, who you're working with, or to a certain degree, who you're coaching. So a certain degree of being a good coach is showing up and being the same guy every day. Um, whether or not the, the players you're going to coach or the coach you're working for or the head coach you're working under is the same guy every day. That's, you know, you can't control that. You can't, you can't um, set the, set the setting somewhere and adjust the sliders and have your, and have your coach be the same guy every day. I mean, it's just not going to happen because people are volatile. People change. People are up and down. And the season is a long fucking time. Sorry. Can we curse on the podcast? Encouraged. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> the season is a long time and it grinds people, it grinds people down. And if, if, you're, if you're there to build relationships and there are a gen, there's a general feeling of 
we don't really care about relationships being built, then I think to a certain degree, you just have to kill them with kindness. Like if you, if they don't want to build a relationship with you, that's fine. There's nothing you can do about that except try to build a relationship with them and then maybe see if your, your charm and your natural, uh, your natural, uh, zeal is enough to, uh, turn, turn them into a little bit more warm hearted fellows. I mean, it's bust, bust your ass. It, it, whether your co, whether your boss likes you, whether they don't like you, whether they, they, they despise you, everyone is going to say at the end of the day, you know, Jake, I can't stand that kid. He's from Ohio, but he busts his ass. It's a good answer. Without a doubt. And it's, it's interesting because all three of us have unfortunately been in buildings uh, during long seasons without much success. And that can be a very trying time. And, and you see how not only the length of the season wears on people, but the stacking of L's also wears on people. Um, one, one thing I was curious about, because Cullen and I kind of like pontificate about this from time to time and on the podcast, but you've talked about, you've been on the defensive side of the ball um, for, for, I believe, all of, all of your time uh, at the collegiate level. Correct. You see, you see coaches, especially it seems like at the college level, kind of rotate through and and shift around from at one stop they're like a linebackers coach the next stop all of a sudden they're coaching tight ends how easy is that to do as a coach you know are are do you find it more successful for coaches to be really good at one side of the ball or is it more about being that same guy every day being more of a molder of men and being able to pick up whatever schemes you're, uh, you're supposed to be teaching at that position yeah great question um so I think this is more of more of a personal preference kind of deal because, um, first of all, you will see guys transition from one spot in, on the defense to another. Oftentimes, you're not going to see a guy flip from offense to defense unless they are, um, you know, there's some kind of special circumstance there. But um, you're certainly never going to like you won't see a, a defensive coordinator flip over and be an offensive coordinator or anything anything like that. But um, it depends on the guy. It depends on how well you know your shit and how well you're able to teach it. Because a lot of times position coaches, especially position coaches at a big school or a big D1 program like Oregon, um, they, I mean, they're thinking about, you know, being a DC. They, you know, they want to, they want to climb the ladder as well. So they are, they're fully aware of the fact that they're not going to be able to be a move up or get a bigger job, a more important job, if they don't have that knowledge of the front or the back end or, you know, be it what it may, be that what it may, um, they, you can't move on if you just know one position. So a lot of times when you get to the p- position coach level at a D1 or at a big school, they're knowledgeable enough to teach two positions or to teach three positions or be, to be able to go into a position they've never coached and teach it. Um, but as long as it's on the same side of the ball. If you see a guy... Let me tell you, if you see a guy go from offense to defense or between the two or special teams to offense or defense, that's impressive. That's a that's a whole shifting of the way you think, the way you – your mindset. Like just when you wake up in the morning, you know, which which sock you put on first. Like that's a total, total <laughs> reversing of, of everything you think about on a daily basis. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. And it's almost like you're you're changing bosses as well, right? Because – Absolutely. Instead of- one coordinator you're reporting to another kind of kind of in this same vein because this is something that gets talked about a lot especially recently in the nfl we've seen a lot of college coaches 
uh, college head coaches make the jump to be NFL head coaches. In your experience, um, how how different do you see the college game from the NFL game? Uh, do you think that coaches coming out of college are are likely set up for success? Do you think it is a case by case basis? Uh, what are your thoughts kind of on that? Um, so let me answer this question in pieces. First of all, the biggest difference there is one difference between college football and professional football outside of the level of player you're working with, and that's recruiting. Um, college football, I would say, is 50 to 55 percent about recruiting, whereas the NFL is about the game on the field. You have a GM and a front office who takes care of all your personnel decisions. Your coaches watch tape and put your players in that position to win. Um, so I'd say I'd say the recruiting aspect and the hours that it takes to do the visits and do the, the communication that it takes to um, you know get to know a player and get to know a recruit that's the kind of stuff that is going to separate that your your NFL coaches have now decided they're they don't want to do that right like anybody who's recruiting or calling a seventeen year old talking about the day I think if you ask an NFL guy that, those are college guys you know those are, that's not the same it's not even the There's- same sport. Um, and he used the term, folks. He used the term college guy. There you and go. That is a very, very well used and commonly used term that college guy is used all the time. Secondly, <laughs> thank you, Colin. Uh, <laughs> secondly, uh, I think it is very much case by case as far as moving from college to the NFL. I think it's certainly um, at one level, it's the same because if you if you get the X's and O's, if you get the nuts and bolts, you're going to still get it at the NFL level. Um, and especially so because if you think about the types of coaches that are coaching, you're not as much teaching your fundamentals and your technique to your NFL guys because they're kind of expected to know it. Whereas you're you're teaching more scheme how we're gonna how we're gonna fit this, how we're gonna play this. Whereas in in college game, you have to when a freshman comes in, you have to assume that that guy is you know just a body that doesn't know anything, doesn't you know, um, is not a good football player. So you have to transform him into a good football player, teaching him the technique and getting his discipline down and getting his footwork down. That stuff at the NFL, they're gonna they're gonna hope or they're not they're gonna assume that you have on your own. And if you have an unconventional way of doing things, that's great. As long as it's effective, you'll be fine. So. Um, Coaches that transition, I think, um, if you, I think it's an interesting study because if you look at successful coaches, hugely successful coaches, like paradigm shifting coaches, um, you have like Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly goes to the NFL and immediately struggles. Um, now, I don't think Chip Kelly struggled in the NFL because he didn't get ball. I think he struggled in the NFL because he tried to treat um, professionals like college players. Chip Kelly, if you remember, had Nick Foles, like Nick Foles threw 27 touchdowns and two interceptions in Chip Kelly's first season with the Eagles, and they were 10 and 6. Like, I think it depends on the guy and whether whether or not they're able to make the, the adaptation between, you know, 45% of my time is spent recruiting to now all of my time is X's and O's all the time. And when I'm done, I, I just can't go home. I don't have calls to make. I don't have people to see. You know, I don't have... Um, other obligations outside of football. Yeah, you bring up a great point on kind of the different styles of coaches. And it it sounds like when you hear like talking heads in the NFL or even players and former players, that is the biggest difference that they pick up on when they try to project whether or not a college coach coming into the NFL will be successful. It's like, are they going to be able to treat these guys like men and and set a culture of men? Or are they going to try and treat them like college kids who they kind of like control their 
their entire lives. Speaking on that culture piece, specifically in a college football building, is the strength coach actually the most important person in a college football <laughs> building because of the amount of time they're allotted with the players? Um, I would I would not go as far as to say is they're the most important. I think that they are hugely important for a college football team. Um, I mean, I don't I, I've never been at the NFL level, so I couldn't comment as to the, the necessity of a strength coach or like what the difference in the jobs are, but. All I know is from the strength coaches that I've seen, the strength coach makes a massive difference just because that guy is responsible for what your team looks like, what your team, you know, physically what they're made of. And he has, that is such a special guy because he has, I mean, you look at the job requirements for being a strength coach. Okay. I need you to get up at 3.30 in the morning and just have the amount, like an ungodly amount of juice just for six hours. Uh, I need you to know every single player's name. I need you to know how much they bench, how much they squat, and like I need you to know about their injuries. And then I also need you to form players with these guys because all of their other coaches might be pressing them or asking them to do something or might not be telling them what they want to hear as far as their play in the meeting. So they need to always have someone to go to, someone to talk to. Those are you guys. <laughs> so the strength coach essentially isn't just the guy, the get-back guy that everybody says he is on the sideline? Again, just my experience, but I don't think so. Um, I think the, the strength coach is has a, a an evolving role. I think when, when we think about college football, you know, when we were watching college football growing up, I think about, personally, I think about, like, the start of the Alabama, and you had your Texas, and you had your Oklahoma, and those were – those were good teams, and you don't really think about a strength coach being associated with those those dynasties. But now, if you think about Saban, you think about Scott Cochran, you see them, you see them all the time. And yes, like it's a, it's an easy shot for the cameraman to be like, "Oh, look at this guy in his tight shirt. He pulls the he pulls the coach's belt. He tells him to get back. How goofy is that guy?" Um, but at the end of the day, those guys, those guys. I, and and you mentioned they have to have unforgettable juice. Uh, I think if you've ever hit those smelling salts, you'll understand why they have the juice that they do. Cullen, the the smelling salts are for the players. I have no idea why you ever <laughs> hit the smelling salts. You weren't going to play. You, there was no one about to hit you. Uh, that's false, too. You have video of me getting hit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine, but not pre-smelling salts. I didn't see you using the smelling salts before indie drills. I don't care who you are. When you had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning, like we did, I was hitting smelling salts because I was not awake. <laughs> Most people do coffee or tea, but just a recommendation. Yeah. I want to get into a little bit of like just the college football landscape this year. You, you talked about how routines were thrown off. We've all talked about how football people, especially at the college level, are creatures of habit, creatures of the same routine day in and day out on a year after year after year after year basis. What, what were some of the biggest uh, maybe hurdles that you guys within the building had to overcome uh, this season, you know, just to get games in? Well, for one thing, we had to schedule time in for COVID testing, mm. excuse me, for all of the players and all of the coaches every day. So every single day we, before they, before or after, depending on who you were, offense or defense, guess who went first? Um, <laughs> before or after your meeting in the morning, before we practiced, you had to go down to uh, the Mariota Center and stick one of those. Have you guys ever gotten a COVID test? Oh yeah, yeah. So you got to stick the brain that, tickler. Stick that bad boy up near your eyeball, 
every single day. And um, you, I mean, you just the hats off to the players because, yeah, I mean, there were some complaints and there were some unhappy guys in the morning when we did it, but it's like we got through it. We didn't have negatives. You know, it's not like we had every week we had like three or four guys rolling in negative, you know, clearly not giving a shit. Like the everybody on that team cared and everybody on that team was enough of a, of a wee guy to put the annoyance and the frustration of the constant testing behind them and just focus up for the common goal. And that was, that was mightily impressive. And I think when you look at, um, when you look at last season in college football, the 2020 season, you're going to have to see, okay, we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know, this team was really good, but they missed three games because of COVID or this team was really good, but they lost this game and the COVID starters and whatnot. But you have to give a lot of credit to those teams that were able to play all their games or were able to um, field guys every single, every single week because the amount of the amount of dedication that that took from not only players, not only coaches, but front office people and janitorial staff and medical staff who you know set up those tests and have have sanitation constantly and have cleaning constantly and have people constantly being reminded to be six feet apart and have constant people who are just being observant about this. Like the the being on the field was more of an accomplishment this year than it's ever been because of, because of COVID and because your best avail, your best ability is availability. I think that you're going to look back on the season and you're going to say it was so fluky and it was so weird because, you know, some of the best teams didn't play all their games and um, what, what have you is the COVID storyline. Like don't, don't forget as a fan or as an observer that these are real people and that this season spanned not a short time in their lives. You know, this was, the entire latter half of their 2020, we, I mean, every single day with, with, with a test and with a mask and um, social distancing from your friends and, you know, not seeing people. I mean, as difficult as it was for you and I, just imagine being like the, 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 a D1, a guy who's playing D1 football during, during COVID. Like he, that guy's missing out on not only some of his games, but also some of his college experience. Um, and I can't, I like, I can't uh, uh, amend or I can't give enough credit to the guys on our team. How much, like, so because you you brought up a good point about how like how much stock people put into teams' performances this year. Do you do you think there is a lot of stock into how teams did this year, or do you really see it as like a this this was a year obviously unlike any other? You could even have a good team and a good culture and and catch a few bad breaks, whether it was missing a couple games or just having a bad game. You know, even if you were able to play all your bad games, you know, you can have a couple bad games. Kind of what are your thoughts on that? How do you move forward into this coming season, regardless of what happened over the past six months in the football building? Well, the first thing is recruiting doesn't stop. So just because we had COVID, just because we couldn't have official visits, there's still going to be a class or there, or there was still a 2021 class. Um, there was still uh, 21, 20, 2021 guys who we've been talking to since they were freshmen, sophomores in high school who still needed to make a decision in this year. So that's something that I think um, a lot of people don't take, in, take into consideration when they think about the effects of COVID is like now you're recruiting a whole class of guys that have never seen your school before. 
um, unless they've taken a visit in their previous previous years, right? Um, and the other thing is like teams teams won and lost, teams fired their coaches, teams won titles. Like those things are not going away, and those teams that that did that, that, that those things are not going to shy away from that because um, you know it was COVID. Um, it is what it is. Like the games are still real, the outcomes are still real. Um, so to that end, I think there's not, um, there's no kind of asterisk on this season. There's no kind of asterisk on Alabama's championship because, um, at the end of the day, we were all dealing with COVID. We might not have all been dealing with it in the same way. You know, some teams had more resources to deal with it than others, but the games were, were affected by COVID, but they're still the games. They're still 2020s college football. As somebody who's, uh, taken multiple charter flights uh <laughs> with the team um when i flew on the team uh, on a charter flight uh it spoiled me completely rotten and i never wanted to fly with the commoners ever again <laughs> um kind of talk to how that flight experience and all your experiences that involve other people other businesses uh, were impacted, like when you went to stay at hotels on the road or or were on these flights, how were those impacted, you know, differently with the COVID year? Yeah, great question. The guy, the, the prep from you guys has been spot on for this uh, for this episode. Really, really nice job, guys. Um, it's easy when we've uh, also lived a semblance of that life as well. Yeah, <laughs> we, can, we can bring heaters all day. I'm trying to give topic. you guys flowers. Just let me do that. Um, yeah, so... As Cullen referred to earlier, uh, a charter flight for a football team is not just like a takeoff landing situation. It is basically a spa in the air. So, you know, um, they're, they're not going to rub your hands or anything, but like you sit down. If you ask nicely, they might. They might. I mean, it depends, on the, it depends on the person. Um, you sit down. You're probably going to have food in your seat. There's going to be an in-flight meal. Like you're going to have movies like already paid for that they are going to be playing in the back of your seat. And like the most cozy, like anything you could ever want. Like there are no rules, by the way. Like if you want to get up, leave your seat and like go to the back of the plane and chat with like the flight attendants, who's going to stop you? No one's going to stop you. So um, that the, the charter flight was something that I think everybody looks forward to um, when they're traveling or when they're traveling with the team. And in this in this season, it was basically it was any other flight. It was like come in, sit down. You get there's no food. You can't eat. You can't drink anything. And then we just got off the plane. So that was a massive bummer. Um, understandably so. Like I understand uh, why it was that way and who we were protecting. But the same thing goes for hotels, right? Like uh, you enjoy your host hotel stay, and if you were a uh, an ambitious, you know, young. Uh, employee of the team, you might even go out on Friday night before a game. Ooh, um, you would never be that ambitious employee. No, would me, you? no, I've never had ambition <laughs> in my life. Um, <laughs> but um, like the the hotel stay was the exact same. Where we come in, you go to your room. We have the meet the meeting rooms that were allotted, and anytime that you, that you're not supposed to be scheduled in a meeting, you're in your room. And like we didn't even want the players to leave their rooms to come get food. So we had the coaches deliver players food while we were oh. in the hotel rooms. Wow. Yeah. 
that's an operational nightmare. Thank God we have one of the leaders and best at DFO at that university. Yeah, no, it was certainly not my favorite part of every road game, but uh, it's one of those things where misery loves company. So, like, as long as you do it with a buddy and you can both complain about how miserable you are or how much how you don't deserve or don't you don't you know this isn't your job. Um, <laughs> I should be stapling papers right now. <laughs> Holes need to be punched, I'm telling you. Now, did you still have police escorts? Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> and I would go ahead. Why? Tell us, who, great tell us why. Why? I don't know. <laughs> well, with that, because I the think police a... get in front of COVID. That's why. Oh, yes. they, they block it. They're blocking all the COVID out. <laughs> Defenders of all. Uh, I think that's a great transition for us into the Fantasy Five. Um, and folks, we have an unprecedented, never before uh, done, groundbreaking Fantasy Five this week. We are going to have a three-way. Uh, and <laughs> yes, <laughs> and for those of the hundreds of thousands that don't know uh, what the Fantasy Five is, uh, one, where you been? But two, uh, like you're happy you're here. To the pod, yeah. <laughs> like what? We, seriously. Uh, so the fantasy five each week. Normally it's just Ian and I uh, picking a team, and we pick uh, five things in in a particular topic. Pit the two teams of five against each other. Throw it to social media. You pick. This week, however, we are going to interject an unknowing third party known as Jake Belter uh, into our fantasy five, and this Honored week to the be topic. Here. But we still do use the snake system, Jake, in case you forgot, uh, because we do live in a society and it separates us from the animals. So this week, the topic is best stadium names of all time. Now, when I, there is a caveat that needs to be understood. Uh, when we say stadium names, we're not talking nicknames. This is not uh, the big house for Michigan or the horseshoe for Ohio or the swamp in Florida. This is the name of the building. Uh, this is the tried and true name that, and we're going best ones in the world of all time. So, Jake, as our very esteemed guest, uh, you have the selection of whether you would like the first pick, the second pick, or the third pick. As a lifelong Browns fan, I feel most comfortable with the first pick. Wow. That is a rookie move there, taking the first overall pick. But in a three-way, who knows? It might be the right, the, <laughs> cor- the correct move. And uh, Ian, as the winner last week in our head-to-head matchup, uh, even though that is under some slight scrutiny and slight protest, uh, you get next selection of whether you would like two or three. Uh, I think I'll take the, uh, the three-turn pick. Ooh, which leaves me with a two. So, uh, Jake, lead us off. Uh, best stadium name in the world of all time. Number one overall. Well, I'm glad that you said it was a rookie mistake to take number one because as soon as you told me what the, st- what the theme was going to be for this week's Fantasy Five, not only did I know my first answer, but I, know, I knew which pick was going to be first overall, and that is Enron Stadium. The former stadium of the Houston Texans. You re- Houston Texans? You mean or Houston, Houston Astros. Astros? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Football guy. En- um, Enron Field. Enron wow. Field, which is super ironic because it was home of the Houston Astros, who then became the Enron of baseball. 
<laughs> oh wow you you literally stayed in front of a mirror and planned that for how long how I, long were you cooking that up in the kitchen you can't see me at home but i could not be more happy with myself right now oh that you you literally came came with that just for me didn't you i did that's ridiculous all right moving on next uh after that obligatory just shot <laughs> across the bow with the first pick uh i am gonna take uh one that i think is actually a beautiful name it is unique it is one of the best in the game uh and that is cameron indoor stadium oh okay home of the duke blue devils yeah yeah that, that basketball team i've Maybe heard, of, heard them. of them yeah they play they play a little round ball every now and again uh yeah coach k tried to stop them from doing that this year if i recall correctly he did he did <laughs> listen we're losing games here <laughs> let's just quit <laughs> you know a real champions attitude they're getting hot though now of course they'll get into the tournament as like an eight seed upset a number one seed shit might be michigan with our luck why attitude. no no we're not speaking that into existence Come we're not doing that I, you're I'm sitting not doing here that. all three of us are michigan men you know we're all rooting for <laughs> big blue here oh man okay so i get the turn here in a pretty good spot. I'm going to go with the KFC Yum Center, home of the Louisville basketball program, and I'm going to follow it up with the Smoothie King Center, where Zion just puts people in a blender. Oh gosh! See, I'm 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 interested here because uh, both of you took sponsored corporate names as your as your stadium uh, stadiums, and I do not have a single corporate partner name on my entire big board so this is definitely way more interesting than i thought it would be uh but next back in the middle uh number two i'm gonna get my top two picks on the board uh i'm gonna take uh churchill downs uh, home of the kentucky derby oh okay i didn't realize that was eligible do they play a sport there they do i mean no one ever said big five sports so you're entirely correct Yes, and I believe it is still called Churchill Downs. I don't believe that name has changed, so it would still fall in the rules to be allowed. Yeah, I think you're good with that one. Beautiful. I love it. I got my top two. Jake, back to you. Back to me. This is another personal pick. Um, I, As we've referenced before, I'm a Clevelander. My baseball team has an unfortunate name, the Indian, or the Cleveland baseball franchise. Currently, they play at Progressive Field, but at one point, they played at Jacobs Field, which is my second pick. Was Jacobs Field featured in Major League? Was that the rundown piece of garbage? Was that Jacobs Field or was that <laughs> Municipal Stadium? No, I believe that was Municipal Stadium, but thank you for oh. that. Uh, Jacobs Field, the Jake as it was colloquially known, was uh, my first my first uh, soiree into having a nickname. So. It's it holds a it holds a spot in my heart. I think it's painfully ironic that the Cleveland baseball franchise plays at Progressive. <laughs> <laughs> that wow, that just hit me, and that's beautiful. That's poetic. That's well done, Ian. <laughs> here and there, here and there, balls corners. Just painting corners. <laughs> Well, Jake, uh, you get to make uh, back-to-back picks here. We do oh, right, snake right, right. system. Snake system, snake system. My bad. I can't uh, can't tell you how sorry I am. Um, <laughs> right. So there are a lot of a lot of ways I can go, but I would be remiss if um, I didn't take this next one. Ian, our 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 great co-host, has already taken 
Louisville's basketball arena, the KFC Yum Center. So I will go ahead and take the former Papa John's Cardinals Stadium, <laughs> the Louisville's uh, football stadium. Is, is the official name the Papa John's Cardinal Stadium? It was. So they, were, they removed him as a sponsor when the whole uh, Papa John thing went down. <laughs> uh, the, the whole Papa J situation. Um, but yeah, it, it literally was Papa John's, like possessive, possessive apostrophe, Cardinal Stadium. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's Cardinals. Yeah. They, yeah it's, Everybody else's. He, but you got to give Papa credit. He makes a damn good za every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Colin just drinks the garlic butter that comes with. I fucking no doubt about it. I'll I'll take a bath in that stuff. Wait, Colin, you were making fun of Ian for having these bland Midwestern Midwestern taste buds, and you order pizza from Papa John's. Yes, like it's church. Yes, <laughs> no problem. Uh, but, but I will say, living in Illinois now, pizza is kind of a game. It's a bigger deal here than it is in Oregon. So I would say that uh, my my pizza game has. Got my pizza palette, if you will, has gotten a little more cultured since moving to Illinois. Oh, I will. Okay, good. Next, moving on. I am going to take a uh, one that may hit a little close, close to home in, in some form or fashion. Uh, I think it's a very unique name, and I wish it was brought back. And that is the old Rose Garden in Ooh. in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, that was on the list. That's a good one. That's buddy. a good one. Yeah, the Moda Center doesn't do it for you. No, I was actually very upset. I mean, because they changed the Rose Garden in our lifetimes. I think it was in the last, what, five years that uh, they changed to the Moda Center. And I still, I, I used to make fun of like my dad when he would call the the Toyota Center. He would still call it the Compact Center or call it something else that's on my big board. So I don't want to give it away. But, uh, and I would be like, Dad, it's the Toyota Center. And I still call the Rose Garden the Rose Garden. I haven't entirely gotten behind the Moda Center yet. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I think I don't think you're uh, you're alone on that one. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of local local Portlanders, if you will, still very much use the Rose Garden nickname. All right, so I'm back here at another turn. Let's see. I'm gonna go with uh, a hometown pick here with Little Caesars Arena. Ooh, <laughs> I wish they called the Dirty Sleaze, but <laughs> Little Caesars Arena is just fine. I, I'm a big fan. I think it's hilarious. The yeah. dirty sleaze is that un, that's unofficial or is that official nickname? No, that's that is certainly unofficial. Oh gosh, because that is beautiful. And who wish, who plays at the Little Caesars Arena? Well, you know the Red Wings and the Pistons occupy it. Uh, many would say they haven't been playing there though for <laughs> reasons. I see. Uh, for my next one. This is a little bit more of a traditional one. I'm going to go with Camden Yards. Oh, good pick. Home of the Baltimore Orioles. Although there's not a whole lot of good baseball being played there, good pick. Can't can't be upset at that. Oh, and guess what, folks? We're back to me <laughs> in the middle. Uh, I, I'm going to take another one close to home. Uh, I think it's known in the streets as the eighth wonder of the world. Uh, many of you may have heard of it. And that is God Stadium, the Astrodome. That hurt to hear. Um, <laughs> so, what, what, tell me why that hurts to hear. Because you think the Astro Stadium is uh, God Stadium. It was the first ever turf playing surface, and it was a dome. 
Like, what are you talking about? It's like it's literally the first ever, and it's called the Astrodome. We invented turf and domes. How do you not think it's great? <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. We're, we're one of a kind. I only respect it for its cameo in Friday Night Lights, the movie. It did. It is in Friday Night Lights. That <laughs> the is true. only the only time we will ever speak on the Astrodome's name is when it's in Friday Night Lights. Yeah, only when Ruby <laughs> Miles is on the sidelines. There you go. <laughs> All right, Jake, you get to round out your squad. I can't uh, wait. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, this one is is a is a deep cut because it is a minor league stadium, oh, and yes. it is named after a ball player. But that Ooh. ball player never played for either of the teams that have uh, minor league re- affiliates there. Can you guess the team, or can you guess I the sh- stadium? This is I a tough. Shouldn't. Should know this, I feel. I feel like it, with this kind of bar trivia you're dropping on us. It's got to be Jackie Robinson. Ooh. Good guess. Good guess. That That's not me. it. The player. Uh, Luke, Luke Gehrig is my guess. Both wrong. So we are thinking of a Hall of Famer, a Yankee, and an Akron, Ohio, uh, an Akronite, someone who's from Akron, Ohio. LeBron Roman James. Munson Memorial Stadium in Akron, Ohio, where the Canton Akron Indians used to play. And now I believe they're the Akron Rubber Duckies. They are the the Rubber Ducks. I don't. Is it, is it Duckies? I, I think it's Ducks. Is it not Duckies? I I, I believe it's Akron Rubber Ducks. But so they uh, let me, they went out of their way to be the Rubber Ducks, but they didn't go full bore and just say Duckies. Yeah, it's Ducks. It's Akron Rubber Ducks. Just to, to clear the air, uh, they do play in this. Wow, I'm learning a lot. Learning a lot. And my last pick. Wait, no. Fourth pick, right? Last pick. Last, last All right, pick. let's do it. My last pick is the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. It's the, it's, the, it's the stadium famous for that shot of snow pouring into the 50-yard line. That, that is still one of the best, like, well, I say best, scariest uh, shots, like camera shots I've seen of a – Sports facility. Period. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's uh, it was kind of mind numbing the first time you saw it. it. It's absolutely wild. Uh, all right, I'm gonna round out my squad here, uh, and I'm I'm gonna get a uh, fairly happy here. Uh, I'm gonna take one. Uh, they won a Super Bowl recently. Um, maybe you've heard of them. They actually didn't win this year, uh, but they do play their home games in Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, that is the Kansas City Chiefs Arrowhead Stadium, and it gets pretty loud there. I've heard that. And and I would just like to point out that my list is a million times better than all of yours combined, even despite the fact that Ian hasn't made his final pick yet. Oh, goodness. <laughs> my, uh, my final pick is between two stadiums located in the beautiful municipality of denver colorado Ooh, and i'm struggling going back and forth here so I, i'm gonna have to just trust the big board i'm gonna go with coors field wow okay really very brilliant coors is obviously brewed in colorado in denver what's their slogan cold as the oh i see what you did there i mean if if we're talking about a good uh corporate name that's a good corporate name i I have to agree i think that's uh i didn't even think about that i missed on that one too 
mile high is tough to tough to leave hanging on the board. <laughs> tough to leave hanging. I know it, no is, one, it is hard. No one said Otson Stadium or Mad- Madison Square Garden, which bothered me. I, I, I have Madison Square Garden on the big board, but Jake, you kind of let us in there. Uh, give us some of your honorable mentions that you have on your big board that, uh, oh, that, that didn't make it. Great. Uh, I had Otson Stadium, and I had uh, Madison Square Garden, which, by the way, is no longer on Madison Square. Did you know that? The uh, Madison Square oh. Garden, is, the actual street address for it is on Pennsylvania. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Fun fact for you. Wow. The fun fact that I always like about Autzen Stadium is Thomas J. Autzen, namesake of the stadium, is actually an Oregon State grad. Actually an Oregon State grad, correct. If he can turn, anybody can. <laughs> <laughs> There's hope for all those beavers out there. Yeah. Colin, what you got on the honorable mention list? I, I had quite a few. Uh, I did have the Summit, the Spectrum, the Calgary Saddle Dome. Uh, yeah, that one's good. Uh, the Alamo Dome, and then uh, good old Old Trafford okay. out, out in, for uh, Man United. I had uh, Mile High, the Great American Ballpark. I, that's a good one, too. And uh, the Glass Bowl, which is where Toledo plays. Wow. Ooh, the Glass Bowl mean, is a good one. That is a good one. I can't believe that didn't get picked. Yeah. yeah, you know, when there's heaters on the board, sometimes – some get left off the board. That's true. All right, I'll, I'll do a quick rundown here uh, of my list and Jake's list, and then, Ian, you can wrap up your list and take us on home. Uh, so my list, Cameron Indoor Stadium, Churchill Downs, the Rose Garden, Astrodome, and Arrowhead Stadium uh, going against Jake's list of Enron Field, Jacobs Field, Papa John's Cardinal Stadium, Thurman Munson Memorial Stadium, and the Herbert Humphrey Metrodome. Yes, sir. I've got the KFC Yum Center with an exclamation mark. Smoothie King Center, the Little Caesars Arena, Camden Yards, and Coors Field. Now, before we get out of here, Colin, I wanted to kind of bring us back to uh, your fire breather of the week because I'd like to get Jake's thoughts on this. Uh, Spencer Jones, tough, tough meeting with the (laughs) bar bathroom floor a couple weekends ago. Uh, Jake, immediate thoughts here. I mean... Look, it's great to be the big guy. It's great to be the football player, but speak softly and carry a big stick is what I've always said. (laughs) Yeah, when he's drinking urine off of a bathroom floor (laughs) in college, I don't think his night went exactly uh, how he planned that interaction would. If you're going to be a bully, this is very important, so listen to me closely. If you learn one thing from this podcast, learn this. If you are going to be a bully, you need to know that you can bully the person you're bullying. (laughs) <laughs> that okay i will say when you're that guy's size it's impossible to tell if you're just in a bar it's impossible to tell that you're about to just get dropped like a sack of potatoes now this kid didn't have it i don't believe i'd, I'd have to review the tape but you gotta look out for the cauliflower ears if yep. you got somebody talking some smack to you and he's got cauliflower ears say all right man I, I got gotcha. you. That is the telltale. That you is win, the, bud. You win. <laughs> I would go a step further. I would say if you're if you're the size of a D, of an Oklahoma outside receiver and you're at a bar and someone's talking shit to you and they're that size, like you have a five percent chance that they're crazy, and the other ninety five percent, they're going to beat your ass despite your size. Like just <laughs> don't be in that spot. Be a better right. person. They, they, don't put yourself in the spot. That guy's not talking trash unless he's confident that he's going to win that fight. Oh, like the, the, So, uh, yeah, that's a great point. 
You swing at the king, I, you best not miss. <laughs> I love the little like setup, like give him a, a little slap and then right into the fucking right, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and then the grapple. And then we're grappling with him, and God knows what's on that bathroom floor. I also think yeah. it's worth saying, like, this the football player's boy got it so much worse than he actually got it. Like he he obviously not a good look for him. He got his ass beat. But like his boy got his shit handed to him like he that was embarrassing like that is not a good look for the oklahoma player i could see how he's embarrassed but like you can't not be embarrassed if you're his boy <laughs> yeah he got uh like thrown over the kid's shoulder into the wall that's tough <laughs> uh, last one because i do want to touch on this as well because it's right in the football world as well um this was it was around the same time frame the kid at cam's camp who oh. also wanted to carry a big stick talking a lot of trash to cam cam handled it pretty well for the most part i think people can nitpick and say he could have done this could have done that whatever um is that something that you're noticing more even with like high school kids because of the state of recruiting and how uh i mean kids blow up on social media right when some of them are in eighth grade i can go on youtube right now and watch a goddamn 12u <laughs> football game from texas highlights music behind it it's got you know, hundred thousand views. It's insane. The kids already got offers. Yeah. So is that kid, is he a one-off or is that something that you're maybe concerned about being uh, indicative of, of maybe a larger symptom? Um, good question. I think it's, I think it's difficult to tell because, um, it's, it's, you don't, you never want to put all prospects or all young people in a box. And say, you know, this is what young people are like today, or oh, there, there are more people who, young people who think this these days. But um, there is a certain amount of respect that you have to have, and like saying this, ninety nine percent of the high school kids that you meet have the requisite amount of respect. And like the the most disrespectful thing that most prospects are going to do to any college coach is like maybe like leave them on red if they they if they didn't respond to their text. Um, so the, the vast majority of guys who are going to recruit, like, excuse me, um, their parents are involved in the process or someone who's looking after them is involved in the process. So it's not, it's not, um, a one-to-one us with the kid or a coach with the kid. So he has that room to be disrespectful. Like there's still very much a like cordialness to the, to the recruiting. However, I think it is in situations like the one that Cam was in where both guys are on the field and now you're in person. It's not a Twitter interaction. It's you, you have all your boys around you. So you want to say something clever. You want to make everyone laugh. Um, I think that's, I think that's a pretty natural thing for all kids, like kids of this generation, kids of the last generation, myself. Like, I think that's a pretty natural inclination. And I think it's on the Cam Newtons of the world to handle it. And I think handle, Cam handled it pretty well. Um, and I just I, think the insult was so off base. Under no circumstance should you be calling Cam Newton poor. I don't care. Like, that's the stupidest <laughs> shit I've ever heard. Like, tell him he's poor at football. Like, yes, like, a bad season, but don't tell him. Good. Look, in the middle of a pandemic, nonetheless, you're going to call Cam Newton poor? Really? That's what you got? I'm more, I agree with everything you said, but let's call the kid out. That's poor material. <laughs> like, make fun of your clothes. Make fun you gotta of come with better shit, kid. Um, yes, make yeah. the layup. Tell him he couldn't complete a ball past fifteen yards. 
Tell me who's yeah. worst million dollars Bill Belichick ever spent. Don't tell me he's poor. <laughs> right. That's where I take beef with it. And I think the apology was fake and incredibly fake. And I did. I am very against the these notes apologies uh, that oh, happen. Yeah. Uh, very against those. But I'm also very against him getting on his notes apology saying he got caught up in the heat of the competition under like Cam Newton's not poor, no matter what game we're playing. That's fact. Um, oh, and I, I'm pretty sure they also weren't competing at the time. No, they were Cam Newton's in a freaking trench coat. He's not competing <laughs> with anybody. No, I think it, I think it's just worth like noting it. This is something that is – I don't think that kid is abnormal. I don't think that you, if you took a random sample of 100 kids from anywhere, anytime, and put them in that situation with Cam Newton, that there wouldn't be one kid who said something to, like, to mess with them or kind of push his buttons. But we have to think about these kids and how their lives are so much different from any other high schooler's experience because now you have – First of all, you I don't know about you, but when I was like 17 years old, I did not talk to Nick Saban every day. I did not have conversations with, uh, you know, head coaches of big programs like that's that's not something I did. So these people have to or these kids have to reckon with like these are people they've grown up like watching, idolizing and knowing like college football is as big to them as it is to you and I. So they deal with the stress of like talking to these childhood idols. And then the stress of like, you're a freaking 18 year old kid. You're worried about, you know, girls and, and math class. And like, um, if you, if you have a bad day at a camp or if you have a bad game and like some 40 year old guy who's a Sooners fan is going to be like, Oh, you know, this kid doesn't have fluid hips, not a take. Like, <laughs> um, that's not something that most kids have to worry about. So I think there's along with the added scrutiny we give them, I think there has to be, an uh, not an added bit of leeway, but just a louder, like, these are kids, like, a reminder. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I'm I'm almost sad, ultimately, for that kid that it came out in the way that it did because, that I mean, he's going to have to carry that around with him, right? Like Absolutely, yeah. Worst case, there's a potential that if he becomes a player, that there's programs and coaches who just full stop say no thanks. And best case... You know, it's going to be forever used as ammo against him, regardless of his. Yeah, of his best case, it's a learning scenario not to bring trash ass material when you're going to get Hey, be a better trash talker. Yes. <laughs> My <laughs> issue isn't that you trash talk. It's you trash talk poorly. It, you were poor at the trash talk, the art of trash talking. You were terrible. Terrible. <laughs> He's got to sharpen the iron a little bit. Um, Jake, last thing that we do before we get out of here every week, uh, we started, geez, probably halfway through our little journey oh, here. Number 22 is when we started. Okay, good to know. I, I figured it was around that time. Um, but we like to dedicate each episode to an athlete or handful of athletes that have worn the number of the episode. So this week is episode 40. Uh, being put on the spot, is there any number 40s that jump oh, off okay. you on the top of the head? There was only uh, two for me, one of which because I had literally just seen an interview with them. Um, so that is very much putting you on the spot. Okay. 40. Um, didn't Gail Sayers wear 40? Gail Sayers wore 40. That's the only sure. guy I got. Bang, Gail Sayers. So Gail Sayers out, is a good out one. Out to the boy. 
We got uh Bill Lambeer. Ooh. Bad boys. Uh we got, we got maybe one of the one of the most uh fun pitchers to take the mound ever, Bartolo Colon. <laughs> and rips dingers. And rips dingers too. And National rips League dinger ripper. We've got uh Mike Allstott. Yes, from I, our see, I was gonna say, I know there's a fullback. I know there's a famous fullback who wore 40. That was gonna be who I was trying to who was gonna reach for. And and maybe the last one here is on a little bit of a sadder note, but that is Pat Tillman also wore 40. Uh, specific uh, for sure with Arizona. I don't know if he did at Arizona State or not, but with the Cardinals, he did wear forty. Wow, I think he wore forty-two know. at Arizona State. Not a hundred percent sure though, but I think they have like those memorial jerseys where they all wear forty-two. So, who's the final answer? I, well, I, I I say we go with the full the full uh, gamut there. Oh, we're just gonna take them all. Who who are you gonna leave off? Um, yeah, who are you gonna leave off? That I mean, if we're gonna go anybody, I think we should go Mike Allstott. <laughs> all right. I mean, if if big, big if guy. anything, this podcast is an ode to fullbacks, isn't it? Yes. So I'll take it. I think that describes <laughs> us beautifully. Colin is known to really just cover the rock, multiple points of contact. Oh and yeah, and just bury his face into somebody in order to make room for the man behind him. Colin can kick out and log with the with the best. <laughs> You see, y'all are lying through your teeth because I'm the guy. I'm just chucking it. I am. I do not care. I'm definitely the Odell Beckham Jr. of this trilogy of people we have here. Like I am the showboater. I the number one <laughs> three point shooter in the city of Houston. Yes, I'm gonna. I'm in the DB room. I'm in the DB room. That's where my personality belongs. Is in the DB oh. room. <laughs> well, how good are your hips, bud? Uh, oh, tight hipped. Tight hipped is all get out. But but how my personality. You drill. My personality DB. I like it. I like it. Well, Jake, thanks for joining us today. It was awesome to just get to hear more about your experiences throughout your time uh, coaching, especially this past year with the COVID restrictions and stuff. Um, and, and good to get your thoughts on kind of the state of the college football world. Colin, anything else for the people before we get on out of here? No, I just want to echo my uh, thank, thank you and sentiments of uh, enjoyment I had on this episode. And Jake, thanks for joining us. Uh, really absolutely. really absolutely enjoyed so. every it was, second of it it was my pleasure to be on i'll, I'll come back at any time if, you're, if your listeners want me hey we're going to take you up on that and we'll try not to uh put you any gotcha moments <laughs> that's okay i'm great Picking on my feet <laughs> i like it tight well, hips tight hips <laughs> ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and fellow degenerates uh like i'm assuming the three uh, that you just listened to. This has been episode 40 of the Cutback Podcast. Till next time, keep your head on the swivel. Try not to get laid the fuck out.